Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from lunchtimemoviereview.com, and we are the children of the 80s. It's a long road when you're on your own, and it hurts when they tear your dreams apart. Welcome back to another episode of Lunchtime Movie Review on the MHM Podcast Network, the podcast where we look back at some of our childhood favorites and see if they stand the test of time. I am Chris. I am Chad. Hello, I'm Shane. And this time around, we have a story about uh, something police should have just left alone and could have saved them a whole lot of trouble. We are reviewing 1982's First Blood. Or, for some people, Rambo, First Blood. Um, but, but before we begin, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Agent Orange Juice, the world's greatest orange juice for bigger bones and brighter smiles. What happens when you combine the best of science and the best of nature? You get the best of breakfast drinks. Agent Orange Juice. For over 60 years, our elite scientists have genetically modified oranges to pack more vitamin C, more antioxidants, and more anti-inflammatory agents into one orange than Mother Nature's own puny fruits could ever hope to, reducing your risk of most cancers and serious diseases, including diabetes. They are so good, even God envies what we created. So why don't you try a fresh glass of the OJ that has proudly served our fighting men and women since the Vietnam War? Agent Orange Juice, you won't know what hits you. <laughs> oh, that's, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> bravo, bravo. Well, on that note, who's got our summary? Uh, that would be me. John Rambo, a drifter, just passing through their town. Morning! Headed north or south? North. Now jump in. I'll make sure you're heading the right direction. Huh? You got some place I can eat around here? There's a diner about 30 miles up the highway. Is there any law against me getting something here? Yeah, me. I want you to book this gentleman for vagrancy, resisting arrest, carrying a concealed weapon. They knew he was innocent. I'm starting to dislike you a lot. And they didn't give a damn. That's okay, Ward. Don't worry about the soap. He's tough. Just save him. Try. Don't move. I don't want you to cut your own throat. John Rambo. One man who's been pushed too far. You're finished! You've got as far as you're gonna go! And straight for the top. Right on top. There's no way out of here except through us. He was hunted. Trapped. There he is! On the cliff! And forced to fight back. Don't push it. Don't push it, I'll give you a war you won't believe. Teasel, you and all your men couldn't handle him before. Now, what makes you think you can handle him now? Because God knows what damage he's prepared to do. don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us? You send that many, don't forget one thing. A good supply of body bags. Sylvester Stallone. This time, he's fighting for his life. First blood. Vietnam vet and tormented drifter John Rambo wanders into the outskirts of a sleepy town to visit one of his last surviving teammates from a special forces division, but he learns that the man has died the previous year from exposure to Agent Orange. 
Rambo leaves on the verge of becoming unglued mentally and walks into the town of Hope, where he is greeted by the kind-hearted Sheriff Teasel. The air is so clean in his town that his shit doesn't stink, and he aims to keep it that way. Rambo doesn't have the looks of someone that would fit in Hope, so the good sheriff tosses Rambo out of it quicker than he tosses the United States Constitution out the window. He drives Rambo out of Hope, points him to Portland, and tells him to never come back. But Rambo is hungry and turns around and starts walking back into town. The sheriff arrests him for vagrancy, resisting arrest, and possessing a concealed weapon. Many of the officers kick around Rambo as he is processed, but when they try to dry shave him with a straight razor, Rambo has a flashback to being tortured as a prisoner of war in Vietnam, and he opens up a can of Green Bray whoop-ass. Rambo attacks the officers and escapes on a stolen motorcycle. Since this is a small town, Sheriff Teasel organizes a search party comprised of officers, hunting weapons, and local volunteers. They head out of, out into the cold forest with orders to capture Rambo alive, but one of the sheriff's officers, a good friend, Officer Galt, cares even less for the United States Constitution than Teasel does. Galt disobeys the orders and opens fire on Rambo from a helicopter when he spots him clinging hopelessly from a cliff, or helplessly from a cliff. Rambo manages to throw a rock at the helicopter, which hits its windshield. This causes the pilot to shake the helicopter suddenly, and Galt loses his balance and falls to his death. Rambo then falls into a tree, but survives. He tries to surrender to the police, but the good sheriff wants to kill Rambo in revenge for Galt's death, and he and his men open fire on Rambo while he has his hands up. Rambo runs off into the forest, and the hunt is on. But who is the hunter and who is the hunted? They drew first blood, so I'm guessing you already know. Rambo tracks down each of the deputies, one by one, and disables them. He might be trained to kill, but he doesn't kill anyone in this film. Eventually, Rambo takes them all out before confronting the good sheriff. He holds his knife to the sheriff's throat and says he will kill them if he pursues them anymore. Guess what? Teasel decides to pursue him more. He calls in the National Guard, State Patrol, and more local volunteers to take out Rambo. Back in Hope, Colonel Sam Troutman arrives to help stop the man he trained without getting anyone killed, including Rambo. He believes if you just let Rambo walk away from the situation, he will calm down and will be peacefully captured elsewhere. Sheriff Teasel is stubborn and defiant. Troutman's suggestion is ridiculous to him now that Rambo is completely outnumbered. Rambo is eventually cornered at the entrance of a mine. Once again, instead of following orders to take Rambo alive, the men use a rocket launcher to blow up the entrance, presumably killing Rambo in the process. Rambo survives and heads through the mine to another exit. He escapes back into Hope after he steals a truck. There, he runs the truck into a gas station and sets everything on fire. He uses his stolen machine gun to shoot out power lines and storefronts. Teasel watches helplessly from his station's roof. His plan is to snipe Rambo from above, but Rambo has already spotted him. He enters the station and shoots Teasel through the roof. Teasel falls through the skylight, but is still alive. Rambo is about to kill him as Colonel Troutman arrives. He tries to talk down Rambo, and Rambo breaks down even more into a blubbering mess. He rabbits on about his treatment he received in the United States when he returned from Vietnam before finally surrendering to Troutman. Rambo is arrested by the state troopers, and Teasel was sent to the hospital. And all the guy ever wanted was just eat quietly at the diner. The end. A happy ending. A happy ending, yes. All right. Uh, First Blood, it was released on October 22nd, 1982. 
the same weekend as Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Jinxed, and The Sender. Had either of you heard of The Sender? I, uh, oh, I haven't, no. Oh, no, I was, neither have I. Yeah, I was trying to place it when I did these movie stats, and I'm like, I, I never heard of that at all. I've heard of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah. That was great. And I've heard of Jinx, but I haven't seen it, or if I did, it was a long, long time ago. Yeah, I can't yeah, point that one out either. I have a copy of Jinx. It's uh, Bette Midler. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, this had a budget of $15 million and made $47 million in the U.S. and $125 million worldwide. It was the 13th highest grossing film of 1982 behind Gandhi and Before the Toy. Very eclectic year 1982 was. Yeah, a few different titles there. Um, the Toy, that was a big hit. Yeah. Down it, under, anyway. It, yeah, I remember it being pretty good. Yeah, I like that movie. That was a good Richard Pryor movie. I've just looked up The Sender, and it says it's a horror thriller, 91 minutes, and uh, I don't recognize any of the actors in it, except Paul Freeman, who was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. But other than that, imagine that a bunch of horror movies right before Halloween. Yeah, exactly. Good timing. Uh, Although I wouldn't consider this one really a a horror movie. I mean, there was blood in it, but this was more of a a war thriller, maybe, I guess I would say. Yeah, definitely more of a war thriller. And it was violent, but only periodically, not all the way through. Yeah, this is one of those movies, I think it sort of defined the action-adventure drama to come in the 80s in a way. Because you didn't see very much like this beforehand, and it just sort of set a benchmark, and people kept following it and following it and following it afterwards. When did Commando come out? Do you guys remember? Oh, Uh, about 85. That's correct, 85. Yeah. Because I do believe that Rambo was kind of the the first of these action hero movies, at least that I can remember from from childhood. And uh, I know that Commando was was um, close to it, but I remember that more for Alyssa Milano, uh, for Alyssa Milano being in that than uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, the... <laughs> she was she was she was she grew up to be pretty very fine. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, in the movie that I thought this, uh, or I'll say the movie and the person this film helped out the most was Chuck Norris and his missing in action uh, franchise because Chuck Norris wasn't the most well-known actor in the world. And then this movie, uh, First Blood, sort of spawned the Vietnam vet type movies. And then Missing in Action came out, and I think we're in 1984. And then I think Norris made two or three of those down the road. Yeah, Missing in Action was 84. And I, I mean, this did spawn those films, First Blood, but I do think that it was more Rambo Part Two that made the the real Vietnam Vietnam phase of movies come through. Fair point. Yeah, this is in many ways it's kind of like the first Mad Max that people don't really realize that there was one before the one that they think about. Um, but uh, yeah, it, uh, it it definitely it's it's the I consider it to be the best of all of the the Rambo sequels. Yeah, I, in its own way, I, I I think I still like the second one because that's the one I remember seeing the most in the cinema as a kid, part two. But I know Sylvester Stallone has quoted many times in interviews that First Blood is his favorite of the Rambo series. Yeah, I would. I, the first of the movies I saw was the second film I saw with my older brother and his buddies when I was a kid, and I was so amazed by it the character that I think I went to the video store the very next day and got first blood so I could catch up on everything. But first blood is the movie. I is the only one in the series I own and I can watch it anytime because it's just one of those movies that just sticks with me throughout my whole life. I just love watching it. Yeah, it definitely holds up. And I remember seeing it and it was a double feature with the Terminator. So mm. I, and the funny thing is I don't have it anymore, but I took in a little cassette player and recorded the whole film. So I used to play back the dialogue and the music all the time to, m- to myself at home. So I knew, I knew that when I was watching it again, rewatching it for this podcast, it was great. I was like, I remember that line and I remember that music and where it all fitted. So 
brought back a lot of memories. On a side note, Shane, you just warmed my heart because I used to do that with movies too. I, <laughs> I remember Fast Times of Ridgemont High was one of my favorite ones I did that with. I recorded the whole thing audio-wise and listened to yeah. it a million times over. Yeah, I did that with The Breakfast Club also. But yeah, no, I just uh, I, I was pretty obsessed with movies right from a very young age. And uh, one of the things that I do like about this film is that this was really before Sylvester Stallone kind of became a character caricature of an action hero star. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think this one seems a little bit more authentic uh, than his other subsequent films. Yeah, yeah, it was authentic in, in right from the beginning. I mean, it started off very peaceful. And then after the escape in the jailhouse and that motorbike, uh, car chase through the town streets and into the mountain. That was really great fighting and car chase choreography. Like it was just choreographed so well, and um, yeah, it did. It really did set the pace for the whole film, and it was it's different. It was different even at the time, and you're watching it again now. There's some really great aspects to this film, and I'm sure off, often people d dismiss it because of Sylvester Stallone, but they shouldn't. Oh, I agree. This is a Wonderful movie to watch, and, and like you just hit a nail on the head, it was very authentic. And still, when you watch this to this day, it looks so real and authentic, everything about it. Um, I can believe the characters, or the actors, excuse me, are the real characters. I can believe the chase scenes are the chase scenes. I can believe the bumbling um, army people are the real army people. And it, it just all makes sense. And the I think the landscape, the um, the trees, the forest, the water, the lighting, everything just makes this thing look authentic and real. Yeah, the cinematography. Speaking about the forest, that cinematography in the forest when there the storm is is overhead and the ranges and the cops all spread out fifty feet across in that line just before the the booby traps come into play. That that's a fantastic scene and it was filmed in. Panavision, so it's in glorious widescreen at the cinema. Uh, yeah, I would it's just really great photography. And the harsh conditions, that's when you see it raining and cloudy and misty. It was. That's what the conditions were like. All the actors and all the uh, filmmakers were under. A lot of duress because of the weather. And it was something about the cinematography that, uh, um, that I always think about when I see this film is, have you guys seen McCabe and Mrs. Miller? I have, but uh, Robert Altman film, but not not for a while. It's well, been a few years for me too. Well, that's set in the Pacific Northwest as well. It, it's a western, of course, but um, it, it's the same kind of feel where you um, the it's a beautiful scene, um, a, a beautiful set in beautiful scenery, and you can feel the cold, and uh, it, it's a very realistic feeling that you get from it. And uh, the feeling that I have from that film is the same, actually, that I. Get watching Rambo, even though they're fairly different movies. Yeah, okay. Uh, makes me want to go back and watch McCabe and Mrs. Miller again. Mm, same here. Yeah, they're they're completely different themes, but uh, Brian Dennehy was a great sheriff in this. Uh -huh. He he was a very he was pretty much a bordering on being a prick and a nice guy. I think he showed flashes of it uh, throughout the film, even even though he was the uh, he was a villain in this film. Uh, what did you guys think of him? I thought he was uh, just brilliant. I mean, I don't know of a better performance by him in any other film that he's done. Um, the guy was, he acted like an authentic small town sheriff. Um, you could tell he meant well, he wanted to do his job to the best of his ability. Um, and they just happened to run into the wrong guy at the wrong time. And, push the wrong buttons, if you will, in the, the John Rambo character. Um, and even in his interactions with Troutman and um, the state police officer and his own people, he j Brian just made it all feel like it was a real interaction, like it could <laughs> happen. Um, and that's what you always ask for actors in roles like this. Just do your best and make it convince us that it all is all real. I love Brian Dennehy, always have. He's working in a video shop. It was guaranteed every row would have at least one or two Brian Dennehy movies on it. 
He was in so many films in the 80s and 90s, and he's still around now. I mean, I saw him in a, a Russell Crowe film not that long ago called The Next Three Days. So he's still acting, and he did a voice in Ratatouille as well, um, yeah, from memory. So for this role, he was he was it. He was very, very good as Will Teasel, and you're right. He had two kind of personalities. He was a real evil son of a bitch, but then he had a bit of compassion as well. In a sense, he, he knew himself... I think what war heroes probably went through, but uh, that didn't matter. He still had to uphold what he thought the law was, and when everything got out of control, he had to fix it, or he would have looked bad. So, yeah, I liked Brian Dennehy, and of course, he was great in FX and FX Two with, <laughs> yes. with Australian Brian Brown, the Aussie co-star. <laughs> yeah, because you mentioned um, the, him being possibly the character being a war hero. I know that was something that was talked about in the book, and then. Um, you can see his medals in his office uh, in a couple scenes uh, at the sheriff's station. I think that's something that should have been played out just a little bit more in this movie was that he too was a war hero or was in, I believe the Korean war. And um, he's, his character sort of knew what the Rambo character sort of was like, but just didn't buy into the Rambo character's way of doing things. And, uh, so that sort of gave him some sympathy for this type of character, but he still was the sheriff of this small town, and he was going to do it his way come hell or high water, but he just happened to run into, like I said earlier, the wrong type of character in John Rambo. Yeah, I agree. That's why I picked up on seeing in a couple of quick scenes those medals in his office. So I gathered, yeah, he along the same lines as John Rambo, he'd been in the military as well. Yeah, I think he definitely empathized, but um, he, I don't think he, uh, I don't think they called her post-traumatic, uh, what, what is it? Stress disorder. Yeah, I can't even say the whole thing. Um, <laughs> you can't make a disease with that long of a name for me. Um, but I think he didn't really understand fully what he was going through, even though he empathized and, and definitely probably saw other men like that that he had served with, so... Because he, he did seem a little cold and callous towards these drifter types that uh, very well might have been from Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. But he all, and they, there's just that one quick scene where, as he's leaving the sheriff's station, um, first off, and he sees says good morning to a guy walking across the street and asks the guy if he was going to take a bath this week. So, you know he was somewhat of a prick to start with, like you said. So, it just sort of snowballed when Rambo came into his life. Yeah, he, he was definitely the king of the boss of that town, and he made sure people knew it. Well, he was kind of running it like a military installation. He wanted clean-cut <laughs> yeah. people, short hair, um, because, yeah. um, you know, when he saw first saw Rambo walking up, uh, you know, he was he was kind of scruffy by his by the sheriff's standards, and he even made a comment about him wearing the flag on his on his jacket as if you're not representing that flag uh, properly. Yeah, that, that's quite shallow that uh, people are like that, judging by the uh, hair and an unshaven look of someone, but I guess that's how it was in some areas or some places. Oh, yeah, definitely in this country. I, I've heard numerous stories from some of my friends and uh, relatives that that happened all the time this the uh, spitting on vietnam vets who were coming back from the war and calling them baby killers and stuff like that that all that stuff really did happen i mean i luckily enough i didn't ever have to see any of it or experience it all but um unfortunately people did and it did cause them to have the ptsd or on top of the violence they had to witness while they were taking part in the war Again, that's how authentic this was in the script because part of his final speech, and I guess we'll get to that later, brought up some of those incidents. Oh, we can get to it now if you want to talk about it. There's no real structure to this one. Oh, well, I love the final speech. I, I think it's really, considering he's hardly said, you know, a word throughout the whole film, uh, and when he's, sitting, when he's sitting down and talking to Troutman and Troutman bends down and sort of gives him a hug and... The music goes to that excellent song. Uh, I just, I think that's a really great moment. And I know they probably had a couple of other different kind of endings 
but uh, that the one they went with was fa- was fantastic. Yeah, he definitely let loose when he had to let loose, and I agree with you, Shane. What everything he said in that speech sort of hits heart. It's like, who are people to judge these guys like this? I mean, I sure in the heck don't know what it's like to serve in the military, and I can't judge anybody who has. Um, I haven't seen the uh, gun one in my life, to be perfectly honest with you. So these guys are trained to kill people. So I'm not going to pass judge on, on judge on yeah pass judgment on them. So I feel for this character, and he had to let loose, and finally he did. And his speech to Troutman was perfect. Yeah, it certainly was, and it all started back in the cave when he's sitting there and he first started talking to Troutman on that radio. You knew you knew Rambo was damaged. But he's also, he knew what reality was as well. He hadn't quite quite gone over the edge, even though he'd started to, you know, bust up the town and the people. So I just think, it, and then, 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 then that final speech was just a big, oh, it's letting off steam and really giving his heart out. And this is this Vietnam vet crying in the arms of his colonel, his only friend, basically, because all his other friends passed away. So, yeah, very effective scene when I first saw it, and it still is now. And I think it shows that uh, Sylvester Stallone isn't just like this little meathead um, action star. And we reviewed a, a little while ago for Movie House Memories, uh, Rocky, um, which is an awesome film as well. And he does a, a very good job at acting in that that too. And it's these little scenes that show that um, Sylvester Stallone has a little bit more to him than just uh, Muscles and Yo Adrian. Yeah, that's that's right. People... Don't give him as much credit as they should. And sure, he's made some uh, turkeys. We all know that. And some um, guilty pleasures. But there's a movie called Copland that he made with Robert De Niro and Harvey Keitel. That that showed he's really strong. He dug deep in that role. Uh, yeah, that was fabulous. I loved that role with him in it. Yeah, he was the only uh, honest cop in a, in a corrupt town. And then, of course, I don't know if you've seen him, seen it yet, but Creed, that movie recently... He really is fantastic in that role, and he deserves any award nomination that he gets. Yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, this was one of his finer acting performances. Stallone nailed this one. I mean, he was, as you talked about, he barely said uh, two words through most of the movie, but you could tell he just was a simple man who had come back from the Vietnam War, tried to make a life for himself, wasn't successful, and you could see it in his face. He was struggling, and Sylvester did a great job. He didn't speak much, but his face, his actions spoke volumes. Um, Indeed. Just the way he didn't kill the sheriff's deputies or Teasel. Um, He didn't kill anybody. Uh, Yeah, let's face it. There's only one death in the whole movie, and as we talked about in the description— and he just did everything he could to save lives while having this war, I guess. Yeah, and that one death was a good one. I didn't like Galt at all, and I don't think the audience did either, so they probably cheered when he fell out of the helicopter. They oh, did yeah. a very good job in a short amount of time making him a supreme <laughs> asshole, more <laughs> so than the sheriff. Yeah, well, he had that moustache, and he was carrying the baton, and uh, yeah, Jack Starrett was the actor, and he, he was very good. Yeah, because even uh, um, with the sheriff, you, um, I still see some good in him. I just see him has, I see him as a well-intentioned guy with, who doesn't uh, let people be themselves. Whereas this other guy was just a complete dick, head to toe. <laughs> and you know, watching it again, I totally forgot that he showed compassion when that little kid had came and had the gun on him and. He had a chance of killing off that kid and then let him go. So mm-hmm. that was good. That was a and really he, nice touch. And even when he hijacked the truck from the army guys, um, he yeah. let the guy just jump out. He didn't try to actually take anybody out except for, I'm oh, he's going to say Teasel. I think he would have killed Teasel had Troutman not came into play. But um, that was about the only person I thought he was going to kill. He was well, very compassionate both- with everyone else. Yeah, in both those incidents with the boy and the uh, truck driver, he asked, Rambo asked them their name as well before he let them go. So 
that was a nice touch because you never know if he comes across them in the future, they'll know that he saved their life. Yep. Um, as someone that I forgot completely was in this was David Caruso. And, Bitch. Uh, the, the, he seemed to be the only guy in the police force with a little bit of sense to him. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to bring him up. Oh, I'll say Michael Talbot's character uh, was a little bit more down to earth as well. I can't remember what character he played. Balford. Uh, Balford, yeah. Who was he in um, in the film? Was he the guy who blew up the entrance to the uh, he to was, the um, ca- um, mine because he had to get back to work? No, he was one of the sheriff's deputies um, when the other deputy radioed across at who John Rambo was being a Green Beret and a mm-hmm. Vietnam vet. He's the one that's squatted down and said, those Green Berets, they're real badasses. Uh, yeah, and he, he was, was the one, he got stabbed in the legs in the booby yes. trap. Yes. He was one of my favorite people from Miami Vice, so he'll always stand out uh, for me. But yeah, he was he showed a little bit of compassion as well. The only thing about that booby trap that he didn't like was that was pretty sophisticated to make in the amount of time he had. <laughs> I'm like, how did he make all those spikes? That, that well, knife had, must have been sharp. He had sharp. a sharp knife. Yeah. And uh, supposedly Sylvester Stallone had that knife made special for this film. Yeah, he actually did some research on the knife. He, As you said, it was custom made for him. Um, you could not find those anywhere at the time, and... Now, if you go onto Amazon or go to your local shop, you can buy the First Blood customized knife for about 130 bucks. And if you want the Rambo First Blood Part Two knife, it's going for around 80 to 90 dollars. Shane, which is the better knife, the one from First Blood or the one from Crocodile Dundee? <laughs> oh, Crocodile Dundee for sure. <laughs> Just because had to ask. Rambo's that's not a knife. Because Dundee's got a knife. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think they're both on par, although, you know, I don't, uh, I know that um, Crocodile Dundee, he doesn't need a compass on the end of it. He knows where he's going. He just has to pick up <laughs> the sun. I can always remember my older brother who introduced me to the Rambo character in the movies. He was so overwhelmed by watching rambo sew up his arm after he fell through the trees with the fishing line and the hook that when we saw the rambo first blood part two movie the first thing he looked for was rambo's arm to see if there was a scar on that arm and in that movie yes there was a scar so my brother had to buy a survival knife just in case something like that ever happened (laughs) That that's uh, not an easy scene to watch for me. I'm not a big fan of needles and things like that, uh, and I couldn't even imagine having to try and sew myself up. <laughs> oh yeah, no that that again very realistic and done done well. And no, I couldn't I couldn't do that either. That just shows his toughness. And I was watching that pretty closely because you know 1982 the uh, special effects aren't necessarily as good back then as today. But you know when he when he kind of uh, tightened it up a little, blood squirted out of the wound, and I thought it looked yep. pretty realistic. You didn't really see any uh, any special effects with that. No, it was the same when they used stunt. You know, I know Stallone did a lot of his own stunts, but they used stunt doubles for certain things on the mountain and jumping into the tree, and but you couldn't tell. And I know some movies in back in that era you could it was obvious, but I never spotted it. But they did really well. I don't know if anyone else read this, but the if you'll remember when Teasel is chasing Rambo and they're into the woods, uh, Teasel's car slides down the side of the mountain there and flips yep. over. And I guess from what I was reading that the stuntman really did do all that by accident. His car slid and fell over and went down the side and landed on its hood. So they brought Brian Dennehy in to get in the car to make it look like he actually did go sideways. There you go. It was look good. It's great stuff. It did. Well, it was a great end of the chase scene because he rolled his car and Rambo flipped his bike trying to go uh, too high of an incline. So, yeah. Yeah. And just speaking, going back to Michael Talbot uh, from Miami Vice, of course, he was a regular. And 
I noticed being a fan of Miami Vice myself, both uh, Brian Dennehy and Chris Mulkey, who played another cop in it, were both guest stars in different episodes of Miami Vice. That is so correct. A bit of a link that there. is correct. Yeah. I love that show. Still oh, s- same here. <laughs> same here. And the, David Caruso, he never appeared on Miami Vice, but another Michael Mann project called Crime Story. Yep. Uh, David Caruso did appear in, so all linked there. Um, One of the things that I always, uh, I don't know if I made fun of, but uh, I'm like, it didn't make sense to me, is you've got this this war hero who's uh, running amok in your town, and nobody secures the ammo store. You know, he just goes in, gets unlimited amount of ammo, blows the whole thing up, and there's not a, a person... Uh, there's not an alarm on the door. I, I forget if he had uh, knocked out the electricity already, but he just walked in, blew it up, and nobody to stop him. Well, it, it appeared to me that, that not a lot happens in that town. Mm-mm. So even when they were chasing him on the motorbike in the, and he was telling him to get out of the way, they were just sort of standing around going, what's going on here? So, yeah, maybe they thought... Yeah. Well, uh, that, no, they won't. He won't be back to the ammo store. No need to lock yeah. it up too much. Yeah, I know that the the sheriff did ask everybody to go into their homes for their own safety, but um, yeah, yeah. And I'm just happy that he hijacked the truck that had the M60 in it just by <laughs> luck, too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He put that to good use. Would have ruined the movie if it had something in it like uniforms or something like that. I don't know. It, but yeah, he just happened to land in the truck with the M60 and a lot of ammunition for it. So, good call, yeah. Rambo. Yeah, I liked it. I thought thought that was a good, great end scene. Really good. I could rewatch that a lot. Just just that scene. Well, I guess I had one question for you guys. Um, my favorite character in any of the Rambo movies overall is Troutman, Richard Crenna playing uh, Colonel Troutman. Did this guy have the best? lines in the movie i mean these are some of the some of the greatest quotes in movie history this guy came up with um i didn't know if anybody else agreed with me or not on that one because i can just sit and watch him chew up the scenery and throw out those quotes and be tickled like a little kid on christmas morning you know for me um i think as time goes on i like him less only because um, other movies have taken so much from that character and it's a little cliched now, but you know, I do think he is kind of the original to that. So yeah, he does have a lot of good lines in it. I like him too. Uh, but for, especially for a character who doesn't turn up till about halfway through the movie, you know, he don't even know he exists until halfway through. And then he's a really big, uh, sort of positioning point for Rambo to return to his senses and, and get brought in because he was defying everyone else. Uh, I, I think Richard Crenn is a great actor. But over time, over the th- different various Rambo movies, he um, didn't quite, yeah, really live up to that original film because he was, it was more of a cartoon character premise. with all Too much the, of a good thing? Too much of a good thing, yeah. And then maybe they needed to limit his lines. But and then when he got kidnapped in Rambo Three, yeah, yeah, of course that was just Hollywood wanting more money from the Rambo series. But uh, yeah, as for the character, I do prefer him in First Blood than the other Rambo. Yeah, series. that was my problem with the third movie is they made him to be or put him in the movie too much and made him out to be a soldier, a full blown soldier rather than a colonel who's sort of calling shots, and that sort of took away from the character. I'll agree there. He did do a very good job of sending up himself in Hot Shots, too. Yes, very much. Um, Chad, you had mentioned that um, the, the ending briefly, and uh, I had read that in one of their original endings that uh, they tested in front of audiences that they hate was that uh, the colonel killed Rambo. So, I Yeah, mean... that, was, that was part of the book, from what I understand, mm-hmm. which was out in 1972. Um and I don't know what copy of the movie you guys have. I have on my DVD and both my DVD and my Blu-ray have the documentary um, about First Blood. And then they talk about um, that is Troutman does uh, with Rambo's aid kill him at the end of the movie. 
And um, then they did film that scene, and it is a deleted scene on both my DVD and my Blu-ray. And to me, it just does not work at all. It just, you have this guy who's gone through hell to stay alive, yeah. and then he has his breakdown, and then all of a sudden he says, you know what? You made me Colonel Troutman. You, it's your job to kill me. And so Troutman pulls his gun out but refuses to shoot him, and Rambo grabs the gun and pulls the trigger himself and shoots himself in the stomach, basically. And it just does not work at all. No, I, I had a feeling there'd probably be a, an alternative ending, and yeah, that wouldn't work. The audience wouldn't like it for a start, because one of the rules is you don't kill the hero. Yeah. Well, norm, normally, anyway. Yeah, because um, I believe, um, who was it, Kirk Douglas, not Kirk Douglas, yeah, Kirk Douglas was originally signed up to play Troutman's role, and he wanted the script changed to have Rambo die at the end. And he said it was an artistic move that needed to happen. Stallone had pretty much rewritten the script at that point and said, no, he will not die because your heat, like Shane just said, your hero cannot die at the end. People are not going to like it. This guy is by the end of the movie, everybody's on his side. He can't die. You have exactly. to at least have him live another day by being arrested and moving on. And then how are they going to make all these sequels and make all the more money? <laughs> exactly. Stallone wasn't an idiot. He had done the Rocky franchise, so he yeah. knew what he was doing. This was uh, pre-prequels. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. And, I mean, for, to sort of uh, question someone like Kirk Douglas, Stallone was obviously very uh, proud of what he was about to film. Yep. The actual script and didn't want it changed. So Cause Kirk if I Douglas remember, heavyweight. Yeah, because if I remember right, Kirk, dropped out right as they were starting filming and then Richard Corinna basically came in and was doing his uh scenes on the fly and having to be fed lines left and right as uh he was shooting his scenes because he was way behind schedule on everybody as compared to everybody else yeah it proves my point how effective the late Richard Corinna was I agree now, we haven't touched on the music. I really love the soundtrack by Jerry Goldsmith. Do you guys agree? You know, for me, this one kind of just blends into the action and, and just accents everything well. So I couldn't really pick it out personally, but it's definitely something that didn't distract and I think actually did enhance it. Okay. I, I agree with you, Shane. I think the the score, the soundtrack, everything... Uh, enhance this movie a thousand times over much like the cinematography it's a key part of the success of this film and the the music is rambo's being chased the music uh, at the end of the movie uh the, i uh, long road i think it's the name of the song that they play right at the end of the film um it's wonderful i will absolutely love it and it is a key piece of this film yeah definitely that's that that song, The Long Road by Hal Shaper, was uh, replayed on my little cassette player many times over. <laughs> and uh, I, I think because there's so many silent, well, they're not exactly silent. You're hearing nature, but there are moments when Rambo's either in the cave or alone or the, he's be, being um, pursued by the army and the cops. That music really does enhance it. Because it's not overpowering. It's there in the background and it, it enhances the intensity of what's what it's building up to. So I think Jerry Goldsmith, he's done some really great soundtracks in the past. This is up there for me, one of his good ones. It sort of reminded me of how music is used in the movie Halloween with uh, Michael Myers' character. You like You can hear dead silence, but you know once you hear the music, something really is happening. And yeah. it progresses and escalates and um i think this movie was another example where it can enhance what the viewer is seeing and make them feel more than maybe the picture on the screen is showing them yep i sort of uh didn't like the look of those rats although i believe they were probably trained rats in the <laughs> and they were really on his back and that's that's pretty good acting, even though he was screaming and getting them off. They they were really going for him. So, do rats normally do that? That's what I've always wondered. <laughs> I think they were trained to do it. 
as, as from what I read in the book, it was a cave full of bats. Um, and to have more effect in the film, uh, they decided to use rats. Um, but I've never heard or seen rats do anything like that or be in big packs like that. So, Yeah, I've never seen a... Um, a rat do anything other than come up to me and ask for food. So, <laughs> well, no rats were harmed in the filming of First Blood. No, <laughs> I think um, there was a movie where those these people. I think it might have been Cloverfield, or they were in a tunnel, and then all the rats are running the opposite way and run right past them because there's something else lurking. So yeah, rats must be able to be trained. Who knows? Rats are very smart, so I could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I think ben been a lot, like you said there, you, there was bats in the book I think there might have been a lot of changes from the actual book and considering it was written in 72 and it was optioned the movie was optioned around for a decade before it got yeah. filmed um, yeah I, I don't know I think they might have changed a lot of the screenplay ideas over time I highly recommend if you guys get a chance and anyone who's listening to this to go watch the documentary on this film because that's exactly what they said as soon as the book came out, it was purchased like right away, and then the rights were sold off and optioned a hundred million times over from what it seems like. Right. And they had people anywhere from Lee Marvin to Steve McQueen um, lined up to do this at some stage. You know, I had a list here of some guys who were tied into this at one stage or another. Um they wanted Chris Christopherson to play Rambo at one stage with Gene Hackman as Teasel and Lee Marvin as Colonel Troutman. Um, well, apparently, well, two of those three I would have liked to see. <laughs> Who was the one you wouldn't? Chris Christopherson as Rambo. Oh, he's in Heaven's Gate. Come on. He's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was coming off the movie Convoy and was a big time commodity at that point. So they wanted him to play Rambo. Um, James Garner actually turned down the role in the 70s to play. Um, he just thought it was too violent. Let's see. Chuck Norris claims to have been in uh, the a candidate to play the Rambo character. Um, let's see. Is, there was another go around where Mike Nichols was interested in directing and Dustin Hoffman was to play the lead. But Dustin Hoffman wasn't interested because he thought it was too violent. Mm. Um, I, could, I can't picture Dustin Hoffman. Those other guys I probably could, especially Steve McQueen, because knowing him from The Great Escape, he would have done his own motorbike stunts and it probably would have gone another few minutes longer, but not Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, and I guess Ryan O'Neill and Jeff Bridges were a couple other guys who were considered to play Rambo at one stage or another. Mm. I'm but glad yeah. they chose Stallone. I think that also says something to Stallone's performance that it's really hard to imagine somebody else doing that role. Oh, exactly. Exactly. What we were getting at, pointing back to before, he's underneath a pretty good actor if he's let, you know, in the right role. And, I mean, the guy is a hell of a writer because he was the final guy who wrote the script. I mean, he took the every other script and narrowed it down to what he wanted and then kept the lead role going. And apparently when he the first draft of this or the first edit of this movie was two to three hours long and he bought it entirely, I guess, because so, he was ready to shit can it if somebody couldn't edit it down to a good final version. And apparently he found somebody to edit it down to the final 90 minute version and he was happy with it, but he was ready to shit can it altogether. Well, you know, even though this was... a fairly, you know, decent box office success. This came at a time when VHS was really huge. So I think it probably found a, a bigger audience on home video. Yeah, that would be how I got introduced to it. Mine was the HBO loop. Ah. Well, I, I, like I said, I remember seeing it as a double feature with the Terminator. And the Terminator was 84, so I'm assuming that maybe... It was still around then, you know, that was back in the day when movies didn't, you know, they, they stayed on the screen if there was audiences still coming. They, they didn't come and go like they do now every, you know, three or four weeks. So, yeah, I'm assuming when I was a kid and it was it was still making money, that's why they threw it on with The Terminator. And um, both those movies were big video 
hits as well. But yeah, I love that VHS revolution. Takes me back. Oh, yes. No laser yeah. disc for you, Shane? Look, they were around, and I had a mate that uh, used to invite us over and we'd watch the old laser disc, but no, I never owned one myself. Uh, only the VHS, and then it took me a long time to actually buy a DVD player because at, at the time when DVDs were coming through, you could still get VHS. So they were still produced, companies were still producing both formats, so you could get the movie on either one. And uh, eventually I did buy a, a DVD and then the Blu-ray, that took me a little bit longer as well, but you know now I don't look back. But I still have hundreds and hundreds of my VHSs that are in great condition mm -hmm. in in uh, plastic containers, and I'll look after them, and I'll put them on occasionally because I still do have a working VCR. See, the only movies I still have on VHS are the original Star Wars trilogy because I want to see them, the versions I grew up with before George decided to hack them up and add stuff that shouldn't have been added. Have people yeah. shoot first? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling Disney might actually re-release those original versions you're talking about, Chad, for even more money down the track. So you, you uh, might be able to get them on Blu-ray at some point. Who knows? Oh, uh, that's, uh, that's still my dream. The fans are calling for it, and, you know, fans usually have the final say and things like that. Oh, I wanted to bring up one other thing. We were talking about the deleted scene. Um with uh, Rambo dying at the end of the movie, there was a second deleted scene in the Blu-ray I have where Rambo is laying in the cave after he talks to Troutman, and um, he starts reminiscing about his days in Vietnam, and he and his buddies walk into a Saigon disco, and they're drinking and having some fun, and he runs into a girl who he falls in love with, if you want to say, in a very short period of time, they go up and have sex together, and they show it in this scene, and her being as nude as nude can be, and <laughs> it was totally cut out of the movie for some unknown reason. But yeah, it's one of the deleted scenes in the Blu-ray I have. Were there any women in this film other than his little Vietnam flashback, and um, the wife or mom, whom, whom, whoever she was, for his old military buddy? Oh, that's a good question. I yeah. don't even think I don't think there was even a female cop in the in the jailhouse. Mm -mm. Yeah, I'll say the I'll say the widow and the widow's daughter right at the beginning are the only two I can think of. When he was riding the motorbike on the footpath, there was some women jumping out of the way. But mm. that's all. I can't remember anyone speaking. Any female actors speaking? Yeah. So pretty testosterone oriented film so yeah i guess it was but uh yeah that's a, that's a really good question I don't, I don't think there was well let's see as i look through the full cast here they do have a woman on street played by amy alexander so yeah so there was one other woman in this movie <laughs> there you go and i wanted to mention and we haven't talked about him yet the director ted kotcheff uh he he wanted Stallone from the beginning, so he got his man as the lead. You know, I don't know, probably went through a few other directors, but he got who he wanted, and he went on to make Uncommon Valor a year later, which, again, was part of the uh, ongoing Vietnam War movie scene at, at the time. Uncommon Valor had a pretty good cast with Gene Hackman and Patrick Swayze from memory. But then he went on a couple of years later, and I've got to mention this, he made Weekend at Bernie's, one of my favourite movies. That is correct. That was just on TV complete. the other day, and I watched the whole thing. <laughs> and did you like it, Chris, again? It, it's starting to get a little dated. but yes, um, it is. <laughs> but you know what? Um, it's just as goofy as it was the, the first time I saw it, so I'm not going to complain about it. But I, I just thought I'd make a point of it, because for something completely different, he, he goes from a couple of really good action films to uh, Weekend at Bernie's. And, yeah, it is a bit dated, but I, I still brings a smile to my face. Well, truth be known, there are as many dead people in Weekend and Bernie's as there are in Rambo, so one for one. <laughs> oh, that's a great link. <laughs> All right, we've kind of addressed this, but let's go <clears throat> let's go around and see. Uh, Chad, do you think this film stands the test of time? This uh, movie does indeed stand the test of time, Chris, and I think we'll stand the test of time 
forever. This is one of those great movies that people should watch. I'm not going to say regularly, but I'll say as often as they want to because it's a good overall movie. Great acting, great writing, great editing, great cinematography, uh, great directing. Uh, I just love watching it. It's uh, got action. It's got a little bit of comedy. It's got a lot of heart in it. And I think people could probably learn a thing or two from watching this movie. Uh, I agree with everything Chad just said, and I'll just add that it's incredible. It does stand the test of time, and so does that song at the end. I thought that's a great song. It should have been played at the start as well. I liked how it ended, though, where he's just kind of walking away in a freeze frame with the song. That I, I'll give you completely. Yeah, very effective final credits. And, yeah, the entire movie, as Chad just said, it really... Almost, it's something you need to watch regularly if you like this kind of genre. I loved it. Still do. Yeah, I'll agree with both of you. I definitely think this stands the test of time. They didn't have to rely on um, computer graphics or anything. Uh, it's a it's a great story. It is pretty much a start to end action sequence, but they put enough story in it uh, to more than keep you satisfied. It's something that they don't do too much these days. I don't think. Um, but yeah, I don't really have anything to add other than what you guys have said. I'm glad that they did delete that scene Chad was talking about, the uh, the lovemaking scene, because I really don't think that would have fit. It w- yeah, it would have taken you out. It wouldn't have fit the story for anything. Nah. nah. It was just one of those scenes that they wanted you to actually see what he was feeling and seeing inside his head. And yeah. I think everybody understood what he was feeling and seeing inside his head without ever seeing it on the screen and yeah it definitely would have it it definitely didn't add anything to would not have added anything to the movie agreed well that does it for this week's review of first blood thanks once again for listening to our little podcast if you've had a good time the fun doesn't have to stop here you can follow us on facebook at lunchtime movie review or on Twitter at Lunchtime Movie. On either Facebook or Twitter, you can keep up on our written film reviews, news on upcoming films and Blu-ray releases, information on upcoming podcasts on the MHM Podcast Network, including this podcast, as well as the number two review, Movie House Memories, Mail Bonding, and Sunday Seconds with the Duke. Additionally, Shane writes regularly for SydneyUnleashed.com, You can follow him on Twitter at movie underscore analyst, where you can keep up on his film reviews and celebrity interviews. You can follow Chad at this underscore is underscore CMM, not to be confused with this is a certain news network. (laughs) Well, that does it for this episode of Lunchtime Movie Review. Until next time, I am Chris. I am Chad. Bye for now. I'm Shane. We have to get out of here, and you guys are invited. This podcast is not endorsed by Paramount Pictures and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. First Blood, all names and sounds of First Blood characters... And any other First Blood related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Paramount Pictures or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Movie House Memories, Lunchtime Movie Review, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC, unless otherwise noted. It's a war.